Appreciate Travis being up here last week. Thought he did an awesome job talking to us about uh, just how, um, you know, uh, the story of Moses is proceeding forward. If you were here last week, you, you know that we are not saved uh, and given our freedom to go and just uh, worship ourselves. We have uh, been freed from our slavery to sin to a slavery, a blessed slavery to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he talked about other things amongst those. But uh, today I want to talk to you about believing when it's hard to believe. Trusting when it's hard to trust. I got a couple confessions as we start our story today in the, the book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus uh, chapter 5 for a couple verses and then uh, Exodus chapter 6 if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, but we're going to see Moses struggle to believe. It's kind of a, a marker of these early uh, parts of the book of Exodus. And I'll, I'll, my first confession to you is this. I'm someone who, um, when I don't know for certain, I, I struggle to believe. Is anybody else like that? Like some of, you, some of us are gullible out here, and I love you guys because I have just hours of fun with gullible people. And I don't know if it's like, you know, wrong for me to do that, but I love to like, is anybody else like that? You know, you, you tell something, something, they're like, really? And you're like, yeah, really? And that, here we go. We're going to have some fun here. Um, some of you are quick to trust, quick to believe. I'm not. I'm a cynic. I'm the, I'm the I doubt it guy. Like stuff's coming out of your face, and I'm like, mm, probably not. That's, you know, it's not. Like you'll tell me that something's really great, and I'll be like, well, I'm going to have to try that. I'm from Missouri. That's the show me state, right? Uh, I was that way with coffee. I'm a, I'm a late coffee drinker. I started drinking coffee about a year and a half ago, uh, but for, for the first, you know, 40 plus years of my life, not a drop. Well, except for one time. I, I tried my mom's. That's why I didn't drink coffee for so long. I tried my mom's <laughs> when I was a little kid, and, and I don't know if it was my kid taste buds or whatever, but it just, it tasted like bad. There's other words, but it I was just like, I, I, I just, I was like, I'll never put that across my lips again. That is the worst tasting anything ever. And so I went all my adult life until uh, a, a trip that I took with Rusty and Jerry, some guys from our church to Africa, and I got there and I was jet lagged and, and I, I, am, I am semi-addicted to caffeine, I'll confess that. I like mine cold with some bubbles in it, right? And so uh, they didn't have that in this particular part of Africa where we were, and it was early morning, I was jet lagged, I had to go teach, so I was the first guy up. And so I was like, man, I got to do something to wake up. And so I was like, well, this is just medicinal. I'm not going to enjoy this. I know that. But I'm just going to, you know, take a couple shots of this stuff and, and try to get my motor humming. And so I, I went to the coffee decanter and I poured it out and I put as much stuff as I thought looked right. You know, I saw you guys, all you coffee drinkers, you know, half-calf, deep-calf, macchiato, three shots, whatever. Uh, I doctored it up like I thought I'd like. And then I took that first sip and I was like, where has this been my whole life? I don't know if it was the beans that they had plucked from some mountain side of Uganda. I don't know what it was, but that was the best. And that was it. I was in. Like, uh, you know, I, I actually, we, we uh, dedicated a, a, a baby this morning with a family, and we had done that. And I went back, and I had a cup of coffee before I preached last sermon, right? Because uh, I just love the stuff, and it makes me feel good, too. Um, but that's just, that's just how I am. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be late in adopting things, but when I finally do, I'm, I'm in. Maybe you're like me. Uh, Moses was like that, uh, but you know his situation was way more than just trying coffee for the first time in a long time. His situation is he's a shepherd for 40 years, right? He's watched sheep for 40 years. I don't know how long you've been doing your job, but maybe you've done it long enough that you can do it in your sleep. Um, but then, you know, however you know, long you've been doing it, get up to 40 years and, and be doing that. And that's, what, that's where Moses comes on the scene here in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus. He's just out washing some sheep, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees a bush on fire. He gets close enough to notice that as this bush is burning, it's not burning. 
And so now he's got to get a little closer. And as he gets a little closer, the voice of God himself comes from the bush and says, Moses, take your shoes off. Lots of you did the last time I preached. Uh, uh, he, 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 he gets into this conversation with the God of the universe, and God tells him, hey, Moses, I need you. I'm going to send you to Egypt, and you're going to be my mouthpiece to Pharaoh in convincing him to let my people go. Put yourself there for a second. Every one of us would have been like, what? Really? We would have the same responses, I'm sure, as, as Moses did, who said, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And you remember what God said? You're nobody. I'm going with you. That's how this is going to work, right? But Moses continues with this protest. He gets all the way to, well, I'm not a good speaker. And, and he uses all these yeah, buts, yeah, buts, yeah, buts. And finally God says, listen, I'll send Aaron with you. We're doing this. Will you go? And then I, I kind of preach that in, in, in the negative slant of things. But, but don't miss the fact, Moses went. Right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy. He saw a bush on fire. He talked to someone who could, he couldn't see. And he did what that guy said. That's pretty, pretty wowzers. But he was like any of us. He, until he sees signs, and it was probably until he had dropped his stick and it turned into a snake. You remember the story, right? And until he stuck his hand in his robe and it came out with leprosy and he put it back in and it came out without. It was probably, those were kind of like, all right, all right, I'll go. But, but, um, but he went. And he goes, and, and, and at the end of chapter 4, uh, it tells us that he goes to the elders of Israel, and, uh, and he basically shares with them everything that God told him to share, he and Aaron. And, and they, it tells us, they rejoiced. They worshiped God with Moses. They were like, yes, finally, we've been crying out God, to God for someone to come and rescue us, and it's you, and you're here. And, and they rejoice. They, they, they celebrate. And Moses is probably thinking, well, here we go. This is it. I mean, square one was getting the, the Israelites to believe me, but they're in. Well, come on, Aaron, let's go. And Travis talked about this last week. He and Aaron, they went to the Pharaoh, and they didn't do it exactly like God had told them to, but they, they basically presented the message, right? And they were probably expecting, as they had experienced with the Israelites, the same kind of like, well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea from Pharaoh. But if you are here last week or if you've read it before, or if you want to quick scan back yourself right now, you're going to see that Pharaoh says, What? You want me to let the slave force of Egypt go? Who came up with this idea? He looks around at his generals, his, his you know, seconds, and he says, what's going on with the slaves? How do they have time to even think about getting free? We've been too easy on them. We've got to kind of ratchet it up like we did in the old days. We've been kind of spoiling them. If they make bricks for us, we, we tell them to put straw in it for, as a binding agent so that the bricks are strong. Uh, we've always provided the straw for them. Here's what we're going to do. They've got to go get their own straw from now on. See if they've got time to think about leaving then. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to acquire the same quotas, same number of bricks. Just get your own straw. And I want you, if they don't get their quotas in, I want you to be harsh with them. And so that's what happens. Read chapter 5. And so <laughs> the foremen of the, of the slave crews, who uh, I'm guessing among them were numbered some of the elders of Israel, the same guys who had rejoiced when Moses and Aaron had come and said, hey, God's going to let you go. They're probably the same guys who are now experiencing this oppression and, and, and this, you know, ugh. And, and so they come to Pharaoh and they want to plead their case. They're like, Pharaoh, there's no way we can possibly put all these bricks together without the straw. You've got to, you know, give us the straw and we'll put the bricks together, but don't make us go get the straw, oh my gosh. And Pharaoh tells them the same thing that he said to Moses and Aaron. He's like, well, you guys apparently got way too much time on your hands. You, you need to stay busy. 
and you're not going anywhere. And so that's where we kind of pick up here in our reading of the story. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 20, it tells us that Moses and Aaron were waiting outside as the elders or the foremen of Israel were uh, having this meeting with Pharaoh. And as they came out from Pharaoh, um, the, the people, uh, representatives of the, of the slaves, said to Aaron and Moses, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is the first iteration of your killing me smalls. Anybody seen that movie? Anyway. This, literally, though, they were saying, you guys, you're a pox on us. You have damned us. You have brought us pain. In fact, you're, you're going to be the hand that swings the sword that kills us, this crazy idea of yours, of us being free. This is not what Moses and Aaron had in mind. See, they, like us, when they experience success, they're um, buoyed by that success to think, well, maybe there's going to be more. I mean, if this worked out, certainly this will work out. And so they had probably gone into Pharaoh and, and, and pled their case, and so Pharaoh had his initial reactions, but then certainly when the foremen of Israel came in, God was going to be with them so that Pharaoh would finally relent and say, yeah, well, it's a great idea, we'll let you go. But neither had happened. Pharaoh had rejected their, um, their words and then had re- rejected the Israelites after that. The Israelites came out. We are, they already knew where they stood with Pharaoh, but now they know that the Israelites hate them as well because they brought all this pain. And so their success bred anticipation. Their anticipation became expectation. Their expectations went unmet. Does anybody know that, what that is called? It's called Disappointment. Unmet expectations, that's what disappointments are. You thought this, you got this. Except uh, there's levels of disappointment. Like I I spent last week on vacation with my wife. It was uh, a a vacation we dedicated to her tastes and her desires. We went to the beach, which is not where I like to be. I know it's it's kind of a rub there. I live in Florida. There's lots of it here. But uh, uh, here's what I figured out. If you want me to go to the beach, have it be 65 degrees. That's perfect. I will sit on that beach all day long. I'll turn my back to the water so that the sun doesn't get my eyes and I'll read my book and I'll confound my wife who loves to look at the waves and hear the sounds and be like, how can you be out here on the beach and not look? I'm like, it doesn't change, babe. Sand, water, sky the whole time. I don't need to keep watching it. It's not going anywhere. Let me read my book. But I had a great first day, a great second day. We went and found these little, you know, trendy, you know, whatever, cottage industry restaurants. She loves those. I've learned to love those. We had a, we had a great couple days. We were totally relaxed. We did absolutely nothing. You've been on that vacation. Everything was going great until Wednesday morning. Eleanor got up early. Uh, she went into Bradenton and saw some different places that she liked to go to. And, uh, you know, she was kind enough to let me sleep. And so I woke up and I said, hey, babe, where you at? And she told me. I said, okay, cool. We'll see you when you get back here. We'll head back out to the beach. It might be the only time I've ever said that to her. I'm looking forward to being at the beach. I mean, she's just like, ah, you know. And, uh, phone rings five minutes later. It's her again. I'm like, we've already gone over this, but okay. Hey, babe. And she doesn't even say hello. She just says, Mark, I wrecked your car. I'm like, what'd you just say? 
I thought I was turning into this one driveway to this one place I wanted to go to, and, and I didn't notice that the curb was there, and so the tire missed the curb, but the undercarriage of the car just smacked into the curb, and I tore the bumper off, and it looks really bad, and I'm really sorry. And I said, well, can you drive it? She said, yes, well, bring it back here. So she does. And I get down there, and sure enough, you know, they make the, pl the plastic bumpers, and that's going to cost a couple hundred bucks or whatever, more than that. But anyway, that's, that's wrecked. But, but then I look underneath. You ever had one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's worse than I thought? Have you ever had one of those moments? I looked underneath and she's, you know, she's managed in this, you know, total, she, she felt horrible, uh, but she's managed in this, you know, this one little instance of driving to take the undercarriage of our car where the radiator is and just jam it all back into the axle and, you know, there's things leaking out of it and I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out. I got this car like three months ago and uh, anyway. I'm like, babe, I don't know if we can just stay here. I don't, I don't know if everything's gonna leak out of this. If we're, I mean, if we're gonna go back to where we live, I think I should go back now. You stay, you love the beach, you stay. But I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna try to figure out a you know, place where we can get this fixed. And so I spent all day Wednesday going from shop to shop, seeing who would do it. Most of them were like, I'm not touching that. And, and, and so I finally uh, called my insurance guy and he said, you probably need to make a claim, go to this shop. And so we did that, but they wouldn't look at it until the adjuster came and they called the adjuster and the adjuster didn't show up and still hasn't shown up. So my car's still broken, I'm still driving it. Are you with me? And that's not what was on the schedule for the vacation. I was supposed to be sitting with my back to the Gulf, reading my book. And that was a disappointment. Nowhere near the level of disappointment that Moses was experiencing. Think about it. He'd taken his whole family from their homeland in Midian gone back to a, a nation where he had been wanted as a criminal, stood in front of the leaders of the government and been rebuffed. The people that he had come to save hated him for doing so. And so he, probably like you and me, when things go bad, he kind of freaks out. When I, when I know that things are bad, uh, I'll be honest, this is my second confession, I, I tend to freak out. And that's what Moses did. Moses turns to God here in this story and I didn't freak out, by the way, about the car. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, just want to throw that in there. Moses turns to the Lord in his situation, and he says, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Moses is so freaked out, he just told the God of all perfection, of all holiness, that he is evil. Yikes. He's not done. He goes on and he says, Why did you ever send me? The Hebrew words basically mean this. What in the world were you thinking? I don't know what you mean when you say that to someone, but you're basically implying that was dumb. And so here's what Moses has said to the one true God. You're evil, you're stupid. He's not done. He goes on and he says, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. So you're evil, you're stupid, and you're a failure. <laughs> okay, if you're a God in this situation, are you kind of taking Moses and just going like, see ya. <laughs> Nobody's calling me those things. Is anybody grateful for a God who is infinite? He's infinite in his patience and forbearance, right? and he takes it easy on us when we don't take it easy on him, he's gonna take it easy on Moses. He's gonna be clear, but he's not gonna crush him. Moses is so freaked out over these disappointments that he can't see the forest for the trees, 
right? He's taken this one loss, this one failure, this one battle that's been blown, and he's imputed that on the whole thing. Lost the battle, lost the war. He's emotional. He's lost. He doesn't know what to do. This might be a good spot in the sermon to just kind of pause for a second and and ask this question. Why did God let Moses fail? Well, the the simple answer to that is found actually back in chapter 4 because as Moses is leaving Midian to go back to Israel, God comes to Moses and he says, hey, Moses, just so you know, when you go to Pharaoh, uh, it's not going to work because I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So God basically did like a lot of spouses do, uh, you know, husbands or wives with each other. They say, hey, babe, don't forget Friday night, we got this big thing with my work. You need to be there and you need to get your suit clean so that you can be a part of that. And then it comes to Friday morning and your wife says to you or your husband says to you, you know, don't forget that you need to do this. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? And they calmly say, maybe they don't say calmly, but they, they say to you, honey, I did. It was Monday. I told you. Do you remember we were standing, you were holding the milk and, you know, and I, uh, well, why didn't you tell me again, right? Uh, now we're forgetful. Moses apparently, you know, forgot that God had called this shot. He had told him, it's not going to work. He probably uh, experienced the success of seeing the Israelites, you know, adopt the plan. And he was like, well, cool, this is just going to fly right through. Uh, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why, why would God actually call Moses to do something that he knew was, wasn't going to work. There's lots of reasons for that, but probably the most important one is this, and it's happened in your life and mine too. God allows us to fail so that we know that we can't and he can. Amen. Like he draws, isn't that, isn't that great? It, it, it's a good thing too. Some of us are like, well, that's mean. That's not mean at all. That is one of the most gracious things that God does is let us fail so that we can know we're frail and know that he alone is able, Right? So he allows Moses to go to the Pharaoh, fail, get frustrated, freak out, so that he can affirm to Moses, this isn't going to happen by your hand. This is going to be done by me through you. I don't want you thinking, because that happens in life, right? You have some success at work or at school, you're a part of a team, and you're thinking like, wow, look at what I did. You know, or you stand in your front yard and you you survey all of your possessions and you're like, wow, look what I've secured. Or you look at your kids and their successes and you're thinking, wow, look what I raised, right? And we can start thinking like Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, look what I've done. And God needs to humble us and be like, you haven't done any of this stuff. You've been around. You've been the recipient of my grace, but don't be thinking you did anything. I am the giver. I am the doer. And all, all kinds of lessons about that in ministry through the years, whether it was youth ministry or here as your pastor for the last 15 years, there's been things that I've given lots of time to, lots of effort to, lots of shine to, hoping that God would use so that people would come to know Christ and follow him. There'd be, you know, weeping and, and gnashing of teeth and repentance and, you know, life change. And those Sundays come and go and nobody even makes a peep. Nothing happens. And you go home that that Sunday night, and you're just like, God, what, what was that all about? We spent a whole month as a team preparing for this and hoping that there would be a harvest, and nothing 
occurs, and then you wake up like it did this one time. You wake up the next Monday, and, and you're going to go, you know, soak your sorrows in some pancakes at the diner that you like, and, and so you get up there early, and you're just, you know, you haven't showered because it's a day off, and you just want to be alone and, you know, enjoy your breakfast, and the waitress, who you've known for years, starts talking to you, and, and pretty soon she's telling you about her life, about how things haven't worked out in her marriage and how much of a struggle that is. And then she asks you, you're a pastor, aren't you? And you want to say, not right now. <laughs> I'm just one of your patrons eating some breakfast. Leave me alone. But you say, no, yeah, I am. And she keeps talking to you. And she agrees to come see you at your office. And she does. And you talk more. And a couple more visits happen. And three or four visits into that relationship that you never scheduled that you never worked really hard to create, that waitress becomes a Christian in your office as you share the gospel with her. And you tell that story in a sermon in November of 2019 so that everybody who's listening can know that it's not about you or me, it's about God and what he does in the times that we maybe haven't planned. And he allows us to fail so that we can learn that. <laughs> he's in control. And because he's in control, I can trust him. Since the God I trust is in control, here's what has to happen. If you're here this morning and you just kind of dragged yourself in here and you're thinking, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. Here's the deal, you can. Because God will do it through you and he'll provide you the strength. But you must. Because the only other option is to turn your back on God and do life without him and that's just not going to work. So since God is in control, I'm here to tell you, you can and you must believe in him. God's good. He'll give us these kinds of texts this morning where he kind of just sits us down and he tells us what's what. Gives us a good halftime speech. Don't forget. That's what he does with Moses. Moses comes to God and says, oh, you're evil. You're stupid. You're a failure. He doesn't smush him. He just says, oh, Moses, there, there. Anybody ever had the there, there talk? There, there. Settle down, big fella. There, there. You're kind of freaking out, aren't you? Let's talk. That's what happens at the beginning of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, now. Now, when we talk, we say now all the time. Now, listen to me or, or you know, now, here's what happened. You know, we just say now is kind of like a throwaway word. It's almost like part of our punctuation. But, but this now is not one of those nows. This now is actually a time stamp. God's saying, listen up, Mo. Now things are going to change. Now things are going to head in a different direction. I've told you this before, but now here's what's going to happen. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. And then he uses some strange Hebrew here. It, it kind of can fool us if we're not... Paying attention. It says, for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his, hand, his land. Um, it, we might think that it's referring to Pharaoh there. But what God's really doing is in the grammar, he's basically saying, I am he who will draw them out. I am he who will lead them from this land. It's my land, not Pharaoh's land. I will be the one who does these things. And then he, he says what he says over a dozen times in the book of Exodus. In chapter, two, chapter 6, verse 2, he says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. 
He introduced himself as such at the burning bush. When Moses says, who do I tell you, who do I tell them that has sent me? God said, tell them that I am that I am sent you. When he invokes this, he's invoking his sovereignty. He's just saying, listen, there's no other gods except me. I am God. And because I am God, because I'm sovereign, because my heart is to save, it will be so. Thus saith me. Isn't it great that we serve a God who can, who's sovereign and above all things? I can and must believe in him because he is God and because I am not. But he goes on. He reminds Moses of the promise that he's made. We sang about it just before I came out here. He's a promise keeper. He says in verse three, I I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I, I made a promise. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. He, he comes to Abraham, or Abram at the time, and he says, hey, Abram, um, if you'll leave Ur, the name of the place that he was living, Ur of the Chaldees, if you'll leave this location and just take everything you have, and by faith, just trust me, I'm gonna show you a land that I will give to you. And Abraham, as the story goes, I'm truncating quite a bit here, he, he, he does. It's credited to him as righteousness. His faith in God, it tells us in Romans, to get up and move and to go as God directs uh, was what made him one with his heavenly father. It's his promise though. Promise that had been given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and had been given to all these descendants who are now in slavery. And, And God says, I haven't forgotten my promise. I haven't forgotten that I'm sovereign and a savior and that I'm gonna keep the word that I have given he finishes this first part of his halftime speech and he says, moreover, verse five, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. That's how this part of the story starts. He comes to Moses, he says, I've heard the cries in Egypt. He's letting Moses know, I'm not, I'm not a failure. I'm not dumb, I'm not evil. I am God. I'm a promise keeper, and I'm a God who cares. I see and hear what's going on in the lives of those that I love. And I'm not just going to stand idly by and not be a part of their solution. I, I may for a time as an opportunity to teach them things that they need to learn, but, but ultimately I will be the rescuer because I hear the groaning of my people in Egypt He reiterates who he is. He reestablishes his covenant that he made with the patriarchs. He reminds Moses that he has heard his people's cries. And he's doing all of this so that Moses will know, I can believe you, even though it's hard to believe. Since God is the God that I I need to trust, uh, since God is the God who is in control, um, he's going to tell me to get back in there. I played basketball in high school and college and uh, it wasn't on the same scale of the, the failure and the frustration that Moses was feeling. But sometimes I played on really great teams. We'd be ahead by 20 most games and I'd get to, as a starter, kind of rest the last 10 minutes of the game. But then some years, injuries would beset us and uh, we wouldn't be as talented and, and we would be the team that other teams would beat by 20 and 30 points. 
And, uh, and those aren't fun games. Anybody been on that team? It's not a, an easy thing to do. Uh, one time we played this uh, college in, in Chicago called North Park. They were a powerhouse, like a national powerhouse in their division. I think it was Division II. They had scholarship athletes. And, uh, and we were on their holiday tournament schedule. We went over there for a Thanksgiving two-game tournament. And we were the opening night for these guys. And they were all 6'5 and above. And, and uh, we were not. And, uh, you know, we were all Bible students who were, like, studying Greek. And they were like, hey, you want to go play some ball? Anyway, uh, <laughs> we went and played. And uh, we were psyched out before the ball was ever put in play, and we were down by 35 at halftime. That's, that, you, you've got to be working to get down by 35 in 20 minutes, just so you know. They're dunking on us. I mean, it's just, it's humiliating. And so we come in, and I'm sure if you'd asked any of the guys on the team, want to go? Want to just leave? They'd be like, yeah, let's go, let's go. That's enough. We, we, know, we know who's going to win this game. But our coach would not allow that to happen. He wouldn't have been any kind of coach if he had. And so he, he went in and he, he, he assessed the situation. He said, yeah, we're probably not going to be able to come back after, you know, 35 points. But here's what I want us to do. And he re, reevaluated and he retooled and he reminded us, you know, um, it's not just about winning. It's about playing to our, our utmost and having, you know, the, the, you know, he did a good job. We went back out. We, we still got cream, but we went back out. <laughs> and that's what God says to Moses. Reminds him of who he is. I'm God. I'm a promise keeper. I care. But then he says in verse 6, so therefore, since all that's true, I want you to go to the people of Israel and I want you to say to them, I am the Lord. I want you to get back in there. Can you picture Moses? You know, he's in his there, there talk. And God says, okay, we're going back in. Moses has got to be like, pardon me? Didn't you just see what happened on the steps of the palace? They told us that we were killing them. They don't want to hear from us. They already have, and that's enough. But God says, no, you're going to go back, and you're going to tell them these things. You're going to tell them that I'm a deliverer. Look what it says in verse 6. Say, there, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. God's a deliverer. He's sovereign and he's a savior. And he, he comes in and he says, you know what? You are unable to free yourself, I'll free you. That's the promise that he's made to Israel. He says later on in verse six, he says, I will redeem you. God's a redeemer. God's a redeemer. He says, verse six, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Redemption in the Bible is a, uh, a financial term for the most part. It, it basically talks about us, um, you know, paying so that something could be secured or something could be purchased. Uh, if you were uh, in debt in the times of, of Christ, uh, in, in the, you know, the, the 2,000 years ago, you couldn't file for bankruptcy. Uh, if you couldn't pay your debts, you went to prison, which is, was just a lousy economical system, right? Because the person who owed the money was in prison and couldn't earn the money to be able to pay back the money. So what's, what's he do? Well, he, he's, he's just in completely reliant on those who would come to his aid. And so people, his family members, his friends, would work to pay off of his debts. And, and when, when it was paid in full, the Greek word tetelestai would actually be posted on his cell and the door would be open and his debts would be paid and he would be released. But look at what... God says here, he says, I will redeem you. I will, I will, I will pay or, or uh, secure you, and, and I, I will, uh, uh, with great acts of judgment, do so. 
spoiler alert, come back next week, year and we'll talk more about Exodus. We're going to kind of talk more about Christmas in the weeks to come. But uh, as we get back into Exodus, here's what's going to happen. These plagues are going to beset the nation of Egypt. And God is going to pay Egypt back for all of the atrocities that they visited upon his people. In fact, it's going to culminate with the firstborn sons of the Egyptians dying, just like as the story opened with Moses, the firstborn sons of Israel had been decreed uh, to die. That's why Moses got in the river. Remember that whole thing? He's going to bring it all back full circle. And he's going to repay Egypt the evils that they brought upon his nation. But then guess what's going to happen? He's not going to stop there. He's going to, as Egypt uh, releases Israel at the end of the Passover story and, and Israel is sent from Egypt, uh, they're going to stand on their stoops and they're going to throw, as the uh, Israelites are going by, they're going to throw their possessions, their, their jewels and their gold at the uh, Israelites as they leave saying, you're God one, we want to pay homage to him and to his people here. Take all of our things. We are lost. We're distraught. We've, we've lost our first sons. Take it all. And so Israel is going to walk out free and rich because that's often how God works with his people. He doesn't just stop at freeing us. He graces us in ways that we could never deserve or ever achieve on our own. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. He's a a father who adopts. Moses, go and tell them that I'm going to make them, this slave culture, my people. In verse 7, he says, Moses, tell them that I will take you, the Israelites, to be my people. That word take is translated in other parts of the Old Testament as adopt. I will adopt you or take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He used this family uh, uh, analogy earlier in the story here in in Exodus chapter 4. He said, uh, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. God isn't interested here in this uh, story of the Exodus of just bestowing mercy. He's, he's not just saying, uh, let my people go and, and they can go off by themselves. He's, he's saying, let my people go and I will make them my family. I'll adopt them as my sons and as my daughters. He, find, he finishes this little portion of his instruction to Moses and he, he reminds Moses that God is the giver of a promised land. In verse 8 he says, I will, I will bring you, tell them that I will bring the Israelites into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. And then he uses that refrain one more time. I am that I am. I am Yahweh. I'm able to do this. What a a great reminder that Moses has been told to give to the Israelites. I know things don't look like this right now, but this is what God has promised to deliver and to redeem, to adopt and to give as a possession this promised land. You know, we in this era live in kind of our own version of the Exodus. We understand that we are in bondage, not to the Egyptians, but to sin. And we have been emancipated from that uh, tyrant, uh, that (laughs) agent of of imprisonment by the the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been given to us as our deliverer, right? He's been given to us as our redeemer. His, His death on the cross was our payment for our sins. 
He's been given to us uh, as, as the one who initiates the adoption process between us and our heavenly father. We are joint heirs with Jesus, adopted as sons and daughters, it tells us in Ephesians chapter one. And he's given us a promised land. It's not Canaan. It's not an earthly promised land. It's a, it's a promise of a future, an eternity with him. These are the things that we've been given in our exodus. And I am so grateful for it. We've been actually, as the church, commissioned with the story of this exodus. We've been told to go and share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make disciples, followers of this truth. Many of us sit here this morning because that's who we are. We're disciples. But let us not ever forget that this, the church, is not just for the current disciples. In fact, it's the training ground of the current disciples so that the current disciples can go out and make them some more. We are a movement, not just a people. You're here to refuel and to go out and live lives as an example to those who don't know Christ so that they will, to share in your own words your story so that they can know how to follow Christ just as you have, if that's you today. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, I trust that's how you got here. Someone told you, it's time to come to church. It's time to figure out this God thing. It's time to come and be a part of the exodus that all of us have experienced in our sin. But that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Being bold, being even conscious or aware that that's the mission. Like, I don't know about you, but it just gets lost in my day to day. I go to work, even at, I work at a church. But even at work with just the, the pieces and the machinery that you know, kind of grind in this thing, it's just so easy to forget the mission, even though I work on behalf of the mission. It's also um, hard sometimes. You start sharing and people are like, I don't want to hear it. Moses was told by God, go back in there. Get back in the game and tell my people my story, my mission, my hope for them. And that's what Moses does. Verse 9, he goes back. He speaks thus to the people of Israel, says everything that God just told him to say. And they totally heard him, and they were like, you know what, Moses, you're right. We're so sorry we doubted you. Let's get back in there together. Is that what it says? No. It says they didn't even listen to him. You ever been out of sorts with someone and you went to go talk to them and they just saw you and turned the other way, wouldn't even talk to you? That's a, that's, that's a nice bridge builder, isn't it? Won't even answer the phone. Won't respond to your texts. They didn't even listen to Moses. Why? Because they were broken. They were subjected to harsh slavery. Listen, when, when your friends, when, when those that you're praying for and, and those that you're desiring to see come to Christ reject you, mock you, won't even listen to you, understand they're coming from a hard spot. A lot of it's pride. A lot of it's arrogance and ignorance. A lot of it, but, but sometimes they're just coming from, hey, if there is a God, he hasn't helped me out. If there is a God, where was he when this happened? They're working through their stuff. It's gonna take a little bit more than maybe one offering. You gotta be steadfast and persistent. But if you're like me, you'll get frustrated. God will come to you though and he'll say, well that didn't work, let's try some, uh, another avenue, let's go to someone else. 
That's what he says in verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his hand. And Moses is like, it's like, that. listen, Lord, this is enough. What he says in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, behold, the people, were, were, were you there? The people of Israel wouldn't even listen to me. And the message that I have is, is, is for their good. <laughs> I'm bringing them good news. You want me to go to the guy who is going to have to free them and share the same message? The people won't even listen to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? And then he pulls out his trump card. You got a trump card? Here's why I can't do it, God. Here's why it's not going to work. Here's something you need to know about me. And he uses the same one that he used back at the bush. I am a man of uncircumcised lips. I wonder if Moses had been thinking, you know, I, I went to the, you know, God pumped me up, halftime speech, I went back in, I talked to the people of Israel, they wouldn't even listen to me. You know, it's probably because I'm just not a very good talker. That's the number one excuse, by the way, that people give for not sharing their faith. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know where to start. We get all obsessed with our inabilities and our um, inadequacies. We're fearful, we're frustrated. And all the there, there's in the world can't get us over the, the line. <laughs> but look what God says to Moses. And this is where we'll stop this morning. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he gave them the charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And here it is one more time to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. See, we fail to see the mission. We fail to see what God's doing. He never does. He knows exactly what's up. He, know where, he knows where everything can go and should go and by his will will go with us or without us. And he just wants to include us. Now the next verses, if you keep reading, it just goes into this genealogy. Like this is where that part of the story ends. It's gonna relaunch as we get back into it in 2020. But that's just how this ends. It's so anticlimactic. Like you'd think after the halftime speech and the there there's and all that stuff that Moses would go in and finally, all right, you know, third time's a charm. When, when I go back to the Pharaoh this time, he's gonna relent. No, it's gonna be a long time before Pharaoh lets the people go. There's gonna be a lot of stuff that goes on. This is some long haul stuff. But all he does with Moses and all he does with us, I think, is just say, stay in there, buddy. Get back in there. The truth is the truth. I know it's hard to believe, but you can and you must believe because I am a sovereign savior. Let me talk about you and we'll pray and go home. Now, this is what I find in my life. Lots of things are great, right? Blessed beyond blessed. Does everybody understand that? I mean, your life might be hard, but overall, everybody in here, to a great extent, is blessed beyond blessed. If we pause and think about it, it's true, right? But that being said, there's still these pockets where it's not great, where it is difficult, where we've been faithful, we've been trusting, we've, we've believed when it was hard to believe, and still things have not changed. In the Saunders house, uh, it's involved, uh, you know, our adult children, one of them in particular. Uh, I love them. I don't know if you're watching. What's up, buddy? 
Um, probably not. But uh, praying for them all the time. And, and um, wrestling with the choices that he's making. Not because of how it makes us look. I don't give a darn. Okay? If you think I'm a bad dad for the choices my kids are making, sorry. But I love my kids. And I want what's best for them and what God has for them. And when they choose it not, it just, it, oh, it just crushes parts of me, right? And there are dark nights of the soul in my home. And there are times when I wake up and it's three hours before I can get back to sleep and I'm wrestling and fretting. And I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's a financial struggle, a physical issue. It's a relationship. I don't know what your stuff is, but it's that pocket. Are you with me? And I'm powerless and I'm fearful and frustrated and I'm shaking an angry fist in the face of the almighty God and asking him, what are you thinking? Why have you done this evil? You're not succeeding, Lord. This feels like failure. And in those dark moments, God has come to me as a father, father to father, and he said, hey, just wonder how, how I feel. I got seven billion of you guys. And you're all over the map, even on your best days. And I stay in it with you, and here's all I'm asking for you. You stay in it with him. And you keep trusting, and you keep believing, and you keep praying and you keep loving and you keep waiting. Because I'm going to teach you things in this season of your life that you would have never learned otherwise. That's why I'm allowing it. And I'm going to show him things. He thinks he's in control. He's not. I'm going to show him things that he will never have learned had he not gone through this. Trust me, Mark. Trust in me always. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your hours, in your sleepless nights, acknowledge me. And I'll carve the path. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know if you're here this morning and you got a pocket, a place where it's been hard for you to believe. I don't know if you're freaking out, shaking an angry fist in the face of God. But I'm just going to give you a time as we close, no song today, just a time as we close for you to do some business with God, for you just to lift that, whatever it is, to him and let him give you the halftime speech. Let him give you the there, there. Hear him say to you, I am God, I'm sovereign and I save. Hear him say to you, I'm a promise keeper. I never told you it'd be easy. Jesus said that in John 16, right? In this world you will have trouble. But then he gave us the promise, I have overcome the world. Let him care for you. Just listen to your Savior. Listen to your Father. And let him help you with that place where it's hard to believe. I'll close in prayer in just a second, but you pray.
Father, before I got up here, we sang that song, the words of which are that you are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, and a light in our darkness. And uh, we sang that phrase a lot, uh, but I pray that it sticks in our minds this week as we consider these pockets of life where it's hard for us to believe. Remind us, God, that you are that you are, that you're sovereign, you have a heart to save, you have ears that hear. Um, you know where we don't, and we can trust you. Help us to do that. Help us to follow you, um, to wait on you. Renew our strength as we do. Help us to mount up on wings like eagles, to walk and not grow weary, to run and not faint. Um, lead us, God, in life, trusting you. And then, Lord, I want to just pray for us as your church to bear the mission. Even as people rebuff us and reject us, help us to be examples of your grace and then the purveyors of your grace. Let us use our mouths, even as uncircumcised as our lips might be. Use us, God, to share your gospel with a world that desperately needs us. Give us your courage, your words, and your love for people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.